Welcome to Honorverse Today, the Honor Harrington podcast brought to you by TPE Network. Let's be about it. Hello there, Honorverse fans. This is Raul Wybera, and you are listening to Honorverse Today. As always, I am joined by my good friends Jim Arrowwood and J.P. Harvey. And how are you two tonight? Doing great. Doing great as well. Yeah, well, hopefully I'm going to sound a little better this time through. Um, I don't have a tree cat, but my cat gets into enough trouble with just four limbs. And she had uh, kind of battered some of the settings on my sound system. So uh, I was kind of a little clippy-offy at, at the end of words and stuff. So it should be much better for everyone tonight. But that's not what we're here for. What we're here for is the next book of the Honor Harrington series. These books tend to be a little bit longer than some of the other podcasts we've done in the past. So I'm not going to waste a lot more time. And Jim, I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about the book, what it is, and a summary. All right. Well, we are taking a look at the third book in the uh, Honor Harrington series titled The Short Victorious War, and it is by David Weber. And uh, here's uh, from the back of the book. We have a few notes. The families who rule the People's Republic of Haven are in trouble. The treasury's empty, the proles are restless, and civil war is imminent. But the ruling class knows what they need to keep in power. Another short, victorious war to unite the people and fill the treasury once more. It's a card they've played often in the past half-century, always successfully, and all that stands in their way is the Star Kingdom of Manticore and its threadbare allies, enemies who in the past have always backed down. Only this time, the peeps face something different. This time, they're up against Captain Honor Harrington and a royal Manticorean navy that's prepared to give them a war that is far from short and anything but victorious. Well, there it is. Mm-hmm. And JP, uh, how about a little background information, special notes? Yeah, definitely. Publishing, uh, maybe something interesting about the title. I'm wondering if anyone actually caught. Yeah, well, you, you teased that one a little bit in the last episode, and there is a historical reference in the title. Uh, the title comes from or relates back to the Russo-Japanese War of 1904 to 1905. The quote, the title comes from, originated with Russia's Minister of the Interior, a fellow by the last name of Pleve, and a Russian speaker will probably tell me I've butchered that, but that's what you're going to get out of me, uh, stated on the eve of the war, and what he said was, what this country needs is a short, victorious war to stem the tide of revolution. Now, for the history fans out there, at times, that quote is also attributed to Tsar Nicholas II, although most of the references that I could find attribute it to the uh, Minister of the Interior. Regardless of who said it, it's telling that Tsar Nicholas was the last Russian Tsar 
And you'll see similarities to the war in this book as it compared to the war between Russia and Japan. Um, don't look for too tight of a coupling, though. Manticore and Haven aren't directly mirroring Japan and Russia. Uh, what, at least to me, what David Weber is clearly doing is using Russia's historical error for his own story to seek a manufactured mm -hmm. war to justify assuming a tighter control of the population, to blame the intended crisis for the discomfort of the people, who, by the way, may be poised for revolution, and that'll reveal itself as we talk about the book. Uh, they lack what we would consider basic freedoms. They're subjects rather than citizens, and things are going from bad to worse with their economy after, as the story is told, hundreds of years of abuse by an authoritarian government. On a grander mm -hmm. scale, and given the time the broad story behind the book was written, you'll see the U.S. and its free and democratic allies in the West, represented in Manticore, facing the authoritarian Soviet Union in the form of Haven. Uh, there's a lot of political and military commentary being delivered here, but it's not too much. Uh, Weber's using it to create a fictional story anchored to some real-world events. All very interesting to read approximately 30 years after the collapse of the Soviet Union. For those who don't know, the Soviet Union collapsed or fell apart in 1991. So this is a neat look backwards um, at at that historical event, not just the Russo-Japanese War. Mm -hmm. The book itself, 376 pages, was published in 1994, not long after the Soviet Union fell. It's the third novel in the series, and the events in the novel occur approximately a year after the story that we read in the second novel. And that's the uh, that's special notes. Yep. And a good point uh, not to conflate haven and soviet union yeah uh what what you see in haven he's he kind of bounces back and forth some of the stuff from you know the initial rise of the soviet union and some you have to go back another hundred years and you you've got the rise in everything with the french revolution and in fact if you if you're a history buff at all it's going to be real hard to miss the french revolutionary uh references but you know Hey, Marx, Rousseau, right? We're all good, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's why I caution people who have not read this not to uh, look too closely for uh, the the Russian and the Japanese direct representations. It's really not there, uh, mm -hmm. or or directly the U.S. and the Soviet Union. But both of those elements of those struggles are captured in this book. One of the things that I've seen in some of the comments and stuff going around today is complaining about his preaching as far as some of our modern political conflict. And it's like, oh, wait, wait a second, guys, he wrote this 30 years yeah. ago. Uh, it was a completely different environment. All he's doing is synthesizing actual history to tell a story he's not making any sort of allegorical statement or anything right well there's one thing you can always count on with history and that it is it, it will repeat nobody reads the santiana to, to borrow uh, a quote from another series yeah so, and i don't know why anybody why would anybody complain about something like that when that was the entire basis of star trek <laughs> <laughs> yeah Nobody complains about it when it's uh, when it's Star Trek, though. But but this is not the Star nope. Trek podcast. This is the Honorverse today. 
And yep. Jim, so, uh, why don't you kick us off with some overall impressions? Oh, I'd be happy to. This move book moves along at a roller coaster pace. There's never a dull moment, and I wasted no time in finishing it. It seems Honor has come to terms with things in her personal life that inhibited her in the past. Try and say that fast three times. Uh, she seems more comfortable with herself, and she has a lot of growth in this particular tale. These books just keep getting better and better, and I can also see a lot of growth in the author and his telling of the saga. So I, I think it's good stuff. Pass it off to you, Raul. What do you think? Ah, okay. Well, I, I'll agree. The books have definitely taken their stride at this point. We, we've got new characters coming, as always, and th that's something I guess some people can make a criticism justifiably about because you, you can end up with an awful lot of characters to keep track of. But then we've got old characters that we've met before and we're feeling comfortable with coming back into the story. And it's just sort of a natural flow where, where that's concerned. We've got intrigue. We've got strategy sessions. We've got character development. We've got tears. And there was a couple of spots where I had to cry. You've got edge of your seat battles. You know, and the truth is when prepping for this book on the, on the read through, I finally just, ah, I, I, I've already read the series before. I'm just going to give it up and keep purging on ahead. <laughs> So I'll probably, at this point, I'll probably have to reread bits and pieces as we, as we get along, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to begrudge that. Okay. JP? I think in the first two books, Weber set the stage, and we talked about that a little bit, and I felt like in this book, he may have hit his intended stride, or, or at least he's getting to that point. We had some combat in the last two books, along with a decent amount of politics, this book has a lot of military strategy and a lot of combat operations, fleet battles, exciting and dangerous stuff. Um, even with all the military action, the book doesn't lack for some very realistic human interactions, uh, positive and negative. That might be where some of the tears uh, you're referencing uh -huh. from. Um, to, to ensure the story and the points it makes are truly realistic. It seems like I just started reading the book and it was over. Mm -hmm. So it, that was yep. uh, maybe like a roller coaster ride, I suppose. You know, you, you get yeah. on, it starts going, and then the ride stops, and you have to decide if you want to do it again. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's my uh, that's my initial thoughts. Wow. Um, from from me, yes, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on the ride and do it again. Yeah. All right, Jim. Uh, l l let's dive into the story. Okay, so uh, I'll read section and then allow you guys time to comment it. We can comment on it or we don't have to. So, uh, the Republic of Haven finds itself in the grips of economic disaster. They are unable to sustain their welfare state thanks to inflation and too much debt. It is decided there needs to be a short, victorious war against Manticore to distract the people from the economic crisis and prop up their economy with what they can take from them. A so, wag the dog scenario. Yeah, I think we kind of covered that a little yeah. bit right at the beginning. Uh -huh. But um, I just <laughs> it it just um, kind of cracks me up how yeah well we just need a good war to just get the economy all started up again. Were the peasants revolting? 
Do I get to uh, go into History of the World Part 1 there? <laughs> oh, I was hoping you'd pick up on that. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Considering the circ- what's going on in this particular book, uh, uh, that that's actually a really good reference. Well, earlier when you mentioned the French Revolution, I just kind of, <laughs> that just bounced into my head. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> anyway, if you want to know what we're talking about, you're just going to have to Go watch Mel Brooks, the movie. Watch the movie. Yeah. You will not regret it. This is the it's first good. the it, fir- first podcast ever that assigns homework. So y'all get out there and uh, watch that movie. Yeah. There'll it's be a good test to be the next king. time. It's good to be the king. <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> healed from her injuries at Yeltsin Star, Honor returns to duty in command of her new battlecruiser, HMS Nike. Many of Honor's old crew are aboard, including an old friend, Michelle Hankey, who will serve as her first officer. Unfortunately, deployment of the new ship is delayed when engineers find problems with a fusion reactor and have to go to Hancock Station for repairs. While waiting, Honor finds herself in a romantic relationship with the captain of the station, Paul Tankersley. Comments? I'm not a soap opera kind of person, and I was happy that, to me, this didn't come across as soapy. You know, this, nope. this she stumbles into this relationship, she and he stumble into this relationship, and it just felt, can I, is that the right, you know, it felt mm-hmm. like that's how this would happen. It was pretty cool. If you remember in the first book, J- Jim had some issues with, uh, with, with her some of the hangups that she had and herself. Said, just be patient. Yeah. Some of the self-consciousness, be patient. This is stuff that's going to evolve and resolve as we go through the books. Mm-hmm. And that that's where, that's what we get here with Paul. And yeah, I, I really like the way it came about. Um, that's actually where what my, one of my bigger quotes is going to come from tonight, uh, to be honest. And what's interesting is, yeah, I mean, think about it. How old she's in her? She's in her forties at this point. She's in her fifties, right? Or, or is she in her late forties? Fi- late forties, early fifties. Yeah, there was an age and reference a, in the book, and I highlighted it, and I don't have it written down. Yeah, it was forty something. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's her first serious relationship. Yeah, but she's taking uh, those drugs. Yeah, well, even to with slow prolonged down the aging process. Yeah, but I, I've I've known. Uh, Heck, I've know I've got friends and family who could put themselves almost in that same sort of situation of you know mm-hmm. just having some you know the, the baggage and how she comes through it is realistic. Yeah, because and I say that because I've uh, known those people. Okay, my only comment uh, about the relationship with Honor and Tankersley is: is Tankersley a genuine guy? Or is he going to throw her over and break her heart? Okay. We don't that's know. An easy we answer. don't oh. see anything. That's well, a very easy answer. Not yet. Though. Yes, it is. Well, but we'll find that out in a future book, right? Uh, no, 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 no. You, you, you find that out right now. She's got a tree cat. You can't hide. You can't hide that. You can't fake that with a tree cat. Oh, all right. Telepath, empath. He's got a beeline straight into that person. What's inside that person? I wondered if that was what was happening when uh, there was this passing piece of narrative where 
It said that Tankersley threw the cat out of the room, you know, on the first yeah, date. Like, so actually, you pointed yeah. out, but hey, then after doors that, are for invited privacy. the cat to stay. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. you know, he <laughs> knew he was inviting, a, a you know, a, a test. The cat grinned, flirted his tail, and walked out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I'm still getting well, used to the cat, though. Yeah. But, yeah, I have, I have further comments on that relationship after a while. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, the Havenites launch pro, uh, probing missions against the RMS in an attempt to get them to de- uh, redeploy their forces and open up desired targets. With the use of stealth surveillance platforms, the Havenites watch the RMS movements in an attempt to make sure the Havenites cannot attack important targets. Yancey Parks orders Admiral Sarnov. Would that be Sarnov? Sarnow. Sarnow. That's how I've always pronounced it. Sarnow. Okay. All right. To redeploy the fleet against Sarnow's better judgment, leaving Hancock Station vulnerable. Uh, the Havenites see this and decide on an all-out attack there. Mm-hmm. There's more to it than just trying to get the Manticorans to redeploy which is obviously that is a huge piece of it open up but but they're trying to goad the manticore navy into firing first they they really want to have an excuse to blame they they want the war but they want to be able to blame manticore for it well of course mhm who wouldn't yeah partly for people consumption but also they're, they're getting technology we we get the hint there they're they're buying technology from the solarian league uh, black market, uh-huh. basically. So what do you think, JP? I thought it was a cool little strategy, I guess, given who was executing it, you know, the, the Havenites. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run in, I'm going to kind of show you I'm doing this, but I'm going to pepper you across a wide piece of real estate, and hopefully you're going you're gonna to get angry and you're going to pounce on it. Um, mm-hmm. So I- interesting approach reasonable i suppose it didn't uh it's sort of a safe way and they built out what they had a four-prong plan four options i guess not prongs but um, they had four options for how they could kind of do things and this was sort of the setup for for those but uh, yeah it was it was good made me happy it was a good good way to tell the story to get the get the fight started the problem i had with some of their, their planning and it's I guess it's sort of the problem you should have is Havenite military really tries to micromanage the action from the top down. Yeah, that comes out later too. I mean, it's explicit later. They, uh, or maybe that was in the annex or whatever that uh, follow-on chapter in the book um, that it it detailed sort of mm-hmm. the differences in the uh, the numbers and the tonnages and or the mass, uh, not yeah. tonnage but mass. And all, and, and he hit on their doctrine and, and reinforced that that's what we were reading is they are very uh, centralized uh, control and centralized execution as opposed to uh, maybe centralized control, decentralized execution. Mm-hmm. Though in some ways they really don't have a choice because uh, the educational level of mm-hmm. the typical Havenite is pretty significantly lower than the typical... Yeah person from manticore well and this hmm. this goes back to this is without he's not being blunt about it and he's not i don't think he's trying to make a direct connection but 
This could be the U.S. military or the Western militaries under liberal democracies versus the Soviet Union. Uh, mm-hmm. The Soviets were very uh, tight about how they structured and controlled. Not a lot of liberty given to either on, you know, the field commanders, I guess I'd say, or even the tactical fighters. You you do what you're told. You, you execute the, yeah. the plan that we tell you. I, I don't want to spend time on that, though, because people are going to start reading Soviet Union and U.S. into this, and I don't think that's what he's doing. <laughs> No, but it, he, he's he's just borrowing from history. Yes, and it's not it's not just that. I mean, you 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 go back to the Napoleonic Wars. You did what you were told, and you didn't question. Whereas the British had a much greater degree. You know, admirals were expected, generals were expected to be able to improvise. Yeah, a little historical nugget, by the way, went with the advent of the HF radio, and then the the intent to install them on warships in the US navy there was there was all but rebellion there was complete disgust you know coming from ship captains because they felt that that was going to enable the the staffs or the leadership in the rear to now micromanage the fight afloat mm-hmm. there was strong strong resistance to to putting hf radios on ships they went on Went on the ship anyway. Yeah, it's and HF, yep. HF meaning high frequency. High, high frequency. Okay. All right. Any any other comments there? Should I move on? Go ahead and move on. Honor joins Sarnow as his fleet captain, and Honor's longtime adversary Pavel Young is also in command of a ship in the fleet. With most of the fleet redeployed. Honor and Sarnow are forced to use unorthodox tactics to hold off the Havenite Armada attacking Hancock until reinforcements can arrive. Nike takes battle damage and Sarnow is killed. At a critical moment of the battle, Young leaves the fleet, further exposing Nike. Honor is nearly killed in the final stages of the battle, but thanks to a minefield, the Havenites flee after taking heavy losses. That was fun watching mm-hmm. the Havenites discover that minefield and then get frustrated. Like it's as if they knew what we were going to do, and all that was. It was a pretty. pretty yeah. I said fun. I'm going to stick with that, right? Pretty fun piece of the story being told there. It's well, yeah, it's fun. It it's about a third of the book, to be yes. honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this battle develops over lots of pages. But man, it's just blinding speed going by as it happens. You know, there's the, a lot, yeah. There's a lot of discussion of the planning of that battle before right. it takes place. You see a lot of the strategic and tactical planning for the order of battle on both mm-hmm. sides. When Sarnow was killed, I felt terrible. Correction: He's just—he was just severely wounded. You don't really realize that yet, but it's made a little clearer in the next book. Oh, but that's and you're book. not you're not <laughs> supposed to do that. <laughs> oh, no, no. Okay, I didn't All read right. the next book. <laughs> All right, it doesn't make it clear if he's killed or not. Oh, you he's got a chest wound, and you a... blew it. <laughs> okay, you also edit it out. Edit it out. Uh, you you we'll owe us see. a coke. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> 
So I'm going to go back to saying I felt yep. really bad when Sarna... Huh? Uh, yeah, go back. Okay. This this section, I felt really bad when Sarnow was killed. Okay? Now, I know, Raul, you know other things, and I don't want to know them. Okay? No, no, no. It, it, it's... As far as I'm concerned, he was killed. Okay? And it made me feel bad. But yeah. um, I, I liked the guy. He was, uh, he, he was really cool, you know? He was a mentor. Yeah. Um, and a bit of a father figure for her. Yep, she's had two of those now. And Captain Young is a pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the this the shock and sadness of of Sarnow was quickly replaced by anger toward more anger toward Young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pavel Young ended up uh when his admiral, you know, cuz there were a couple of different there were two task forces in the group. Uh, Sarnow was the com- was actually was it admiral or commodore? I think I, they, yeah. I think it was admiral. Yeah, he okay. is an admiral. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. real. But uh, he had one task group, and um, uh, da 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 Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Another um, guy. <laughs> yeah, another guy. Uh, having a brain fart here. Uh, was the other admiral. Uh, on the other task group, which fortunately yeah. is where Pavel Young was. Yancey Parks. Yancey Parks, thank you. No, Yancey Parks was the. Uh, he's the big, big. Yeah, he he's the fleet. He was the fleet admiral that okay. uh, more or less abandoned Hancock. Okay. Against uh, their better judgment. Um, I, basically, everyone else said, no, 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 don't go. And he went yeah. to reinforce the other areas. Okay, but uh, you were you were saying before that. Yeah, Pavel Young basically inherited command of the uh, fleet that was left when uh, Sarna was taken out of the uh, picture, yeah. and Honor didn't pass command. No, and that uh, that unfolds how or why that is unfolds toward the end of the book. Mm-hmm. At least how her leadership sees it. And, uh, I I tended to agree with their read on it she's in the middle of a fight and doesn't and she knew what the order was going to be yes and you know one thing happens right after another and there was never a clean moment you know i'm willing to run with that that she could turn to young or anybody else and say this is the situation you are now in command of the task force or the task group or the because at that point she's already on the run yeah can you say cowardice before the face of the enemy and we don't have to guess about that. As no, you guys no. recall, as he's on the run and he says, or we see his thoughts in writing. I can't remember if he said it like it was audible or not, but I can't, I can't go back into that. Uh-huh. And he left. Yeah. Yeah. So not only is he a rapist, uh, but he's also a coward. Yeah. Yep. All right. And so- a deserter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We could probably charge him with a number of things. In the aftermath, Captain Young is to face a court martial for his acts of cowardice on Manticore. Uh, Captain Tankersley has survived, much to Honor's relief, and is promoted and sent to be the deputy constructor of the Hephaestus station in orbit around Manticore, where the Nike will be repaired. Convenient. 
Now they have mm-hmm. uh, there's some interesting things here, and I'm not a navy navy guy, so a listener who is familiar, intimate with naval history may know, but they talk about the rank of captain in in a way that's almost like in the Air Force or the Army or the Marine Corps, saying lieutenant colonel and then colonel. They talk about these junior junior captains and then captains of the list, which are the ones who are showing all the right promise for promotion to flag rank. And uh, it, But I read that the way you did. Uh, part of me says, well, a captain is a captain. He, he, he's a captain or, or he's a commander, which precedes that, or he's a, he's a, a one-star, a rear admiral lower half in today's Navy. Um, at times in history, a commodore as a one-star. Uh, although a commodore, commodore is a sticky term, um, too. It it can be used. Well, anyway, we won't. Would that be considered? Would uh, that's a question for you, J? I was going to ask you, JP. Is a commodore the equivalent of a one star lower half admiral? That's my understanding, modern... but it's not a hundred percent synonymous. It's it's a title that's used. I said somebody whose navy can can obviously ping us on the website and, and throw mm-hmm. some good stuff down, but it, it's a title that's used situationally, like a, a rear admiral lower half who is in the right kind of command would be called a commodore, but not every rear admiral lower half is a commodore, so it's you know hmm. squares and rectangles kind of thing. Okay, and I don't. What about know, with the British Navy? There is one thing for sure. Mm-hmm. But he, he was promoted the way the language goes, I guess. I don't want to undo what you were saying there, Jim. Oh, well, I was just I was just going to say there is one thing I know for sure, and that is Lionel Richie was a Commodore. He was. <laughs> a darn good one, too. And was but he still a Commodore when he was pop solo? Co- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> you stole my line. <laughs> you asked for that one. Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. So he's so he's now a captain of the list is the phrase that they use, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's telling us that he's a he's a senior 06, if you were going to use American military um, grade. He's a, he's now a senior captain and he's eligible for promotion. Okay. Yep. One of the things I wanted to point out uh, in, in as far as my comment, like, like I said, Yancey Parks more or less abandoned them there uh two fairly powerful on the one hand but fairly small you know against destroyers but if they launched if haven launched a targeted attack a serious attack a couple of battle cruiser squadrons were grotesquely insufficient for as important as hancock is and a lot of the part of the strategy session was okay what do we got what do we got uh, what do we have to work with that we can actually build a defense that might have a chance of giving us time to at least get reinforcements? And the mine ships, the mine layers was one of it, and Very the battle cool. uh, the missile pods. Yeah, yep, and that and that worked. It mm-hmm. it it worked as a surprise, like it was supposed to. Uh, the the Havenites saw through it. Fairly quickly, but it was too late to. I mean, they already had a lot of damage done to them. Yeah, they, they, they saw through the missile pod thing when the missiles were in the air. Yeah. At which point is it's oh crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we started talking about Young's um, court martial, and I want to circle back to that real quick. 
Certainly. This problem, this, what we see him do historically, if he's guilty of what it appears he's done, you notice they held a, a board to make the determination. They had the board of inquiry and, and, now, and he's being remanded for court martial. Right. So now he's going to go stand in front of a court and he's either going to be guilty or innocent. Historically, fleeing in the face of the enemy is a capital offense. Now, I don't know what's going to happen here. But when that when that happened, when he ran, my first thought was, okay, David Weber, what are you going to do with this? And they called it what it was, which made me very happy. And they're also handling it correctly. So his leadership looks and says, yeah, this is this looks like what he did. It looks like he fled. He gives us a smattering of why they believe that. And, it, and that is believable. And then they say he's referred to court to to make ultimately look at all the mm -hmm. evidence and make a decision. I also like, even though it's, I don't think it was necessary for honor to hear this, but we've now seen this twice in three books, uh, this guidance. She was told, put him under house arrest or quarters arrest or whatever they called it, but he is still a captain. You treat him with all the respect that's due, but he's under arrest. If you remember back a book or two, she yep. gives very similar guidance to her officers when they took prisoners after she about lost control of herself and said, as she detained these prisoners who had committed these, the atrocities that they had, basically these are, these prisoners are still officers. We will treat them with the respect that's due to the rank. Didn't mean that they're footloose and fancy free. So we're seeing a, we're seeing a theme here with, with this professional military, this professional Navy, and that is the emphasis on you do the right thing in the service of the Queen. Yeah, it hails straight back to, in fact, just doing the right thing in service of the Queen, hails straight back to the British uh, naval traditions. Right. And and you can see all through history, not just the And the Navy, Spanish and French, the same. It's captured well in movies, the respect that, that quite often a hostile force will give to the captured members of their the opposing force and specifically respect that's due to officers mm -hmm. and, and through history, there's all kinds of examples where that was not, or that respect and courtesy was not offered. But for the most part, to me, that's a proud tradition of professional militaries. When you see the kind of respect that's due, whether it's uh, folks that are captured in combat or taken prisoner, folks who surrender in combat, even the U.S. Civil War, there's some wonderful examples of the Southern general officers as they as they surrendered to the North and the respect and the courtesy that was given, not an excusal of anything that was done wrong or bad or it was immoral, but it was it was a respect that was due to the position and the rank. Kind of neat stuff. Yep, uh, you you're, you're going to like the way these books develop uh, in that respect, JP. I'll, I'll tell you that much without spoiling anything. All right. So moving along, after the failure in the First Battle of Hancock, three Havenite revolutionists lead an overthrow of the Havenite legislaturalists, killing the president and most of the sitting government in an airstrike blamed on the Havenite Navy. As a result, a committee of public safety is formed, and they declare their intent to rule Haven until a new government can be formed. They further begin a purge of senior military officers to solidify their rule. Yeah, and here you start to get... Now, th this, this is actually something that 
is progressive throughout the entire book. Uh, you start seeing pieces of this uh, laid down. Pierre's son getting killed in the actions, you know, is kind of tips his block. It's sort of the break and it's sort of the, what he uses to break the speed of the book as far as the pace, you know, to pace things out a little bit. History buffs. Ooh, gee, a committee for public safety. Hmm. Uh, and it, th- that overthrow is actually kind of almost a mishmash or a mashup of Soviet revolution and French revolution. I yeah. Is that anything yeah, like the Night Watch? Huh? Is that anything like the Night Watch? Wait a book or so. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah. You know, one other thing that you, oh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll hold off onto this uh, when we get to some of the characters. Good. Let's, let's, let's go about, ahead and get JP's thoughts. Characters. Yeah, let's move forward. Well, I'm going to start with, and I've been taking the good guys and getting around to the bad guys. In this case, I'm going to do the other way around just because of uh, what your comment there was. Hmm. Sidney Harris, Mr. It's Good to Be the King guy, huh? um are are there any history buffs listening where do we hear committee of public safety in history now if if you need a hint let me just say robert stanton pierre or as he's more commonly known rob s pierre say that fast robes pierre (laughs) yeah um it, it is useful to read about the french revolution in uh in these books any first thoughts on these characters or comments before i kind of uh move on no not really i I want them to develop yep um oscar saint just uh in my notes i have him listed as the archangel of terror does that bring does that uh ring a bell for anyone with uh, some familiarity with the French Revolution as well, not mm. as not as uh, bluntly as as Pierre, but pretty close uh, in a way. Louis Antoine de Saint Just, uh, who was known as the Archangel of Terror, and also was a very close friend, one of the best friends of uh, Robespierre, by the way. And just to wrap it up, you've got uh, another important character introduced here, uh, Cordelia Ransom. Yeah, all th- these. These folks, all these ones that you've mentioned to start, he has scattered a bunch of seed on the ground, and I'm anxious to see yep. what he's uh, going to do her with name, these, these people. Her name probably comes from Le Vieux Courrier, which is a pamphlet written by another Robespierre's very, very good friends and journalist, Camille Desmoulins, if I've pronounced that right. Um, if it was Spanish... My my pronunciation would be fine, but un- unfortunately, joke amongst both Spanish and Italian speakers that I I've heard is no one could butcher a good Latin language like the French. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we don't see a lot about Cortelli except they're a little bit concerned about her, and uh, Oscar Saint Just is the third person of that triumvirate to really keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the book, by the way, you remember who's, or toward the end of the book, you remember whose name was on the arrest order? Hmm? Wasn't it his? When he, they sent the, the troops out to arrest a senior military Jim, official. Admiral and, Purnell. And instead of the, whatever the name was, I can't remember the title, that he expected he would see on an order like that, he sees 
chief of the public safety department or whatever the, they've decided to call their their new yeah, organization, and it's signed by Oscar. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Uh, again, like I said, okay. And, and I, I know, uh, Jim, I know, uh, JP, I know you're, you're enough of a history buff. You're seeing the parallels here. So, yeah. Um, another character, and, and I'm going to have to mix this with another, was Thomas Tiesman. We've, we've met him before. Patriotic guy, duty bound. This is why you give your, your officers the due respect when they're captured. Mm-hmm. He's not happy with where his country's going. And the reason he's important to bring up here is because of Helen Zilwicky. It was a rating, one of the raiding parties, and it, it took a couple chapters scattered through the book. Helen Zilwicky, Anton, and their daughter, Helen. I had to stop reading a couple times there. These were brand new characters, but it, it was still enough to, to, enough to bring a tear. It, it really kind of brought home what you're fighting for. Right. Kent, these are going to be extremely important characters uh, in the future, by the way. Oh, let's see. We've talked about Paul Tankersley already. Um, so, is there anything else we want? Hmm? We've mentioned Mich- Michelle. Um, we mentioned the name, but we didn't talk about her. I like this lady. Hanky, yeah. She's the only person I've ever d- heard described as having a furry contralto. <laughs> <laughs> I like the backstory, and it was really brief. And she's got perfect pitch. About how she ends up as Honor's roommate at the Academy. Yeah. Yep. And then they're hanging out on that ship together, and uh, she's first officer, and she's cool. She's yeah. really cool. She's also uh, the first Honor's cousin to co- Queen Elizabeth. Uh, and seeing that, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but I, I did yep. pick up on it. She's kind of Honor's conscience. Yeah. Yeah. Or and romantic advisor. Yeah, she knows. She knows Honor very well. She's the McCoy to uh, Kirk. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, and Jim, yep. the, that backstory, that it was really quick and super easy to miss, I think, with all the yeah. awesome combat and stuff that was going on. But they, the Academy put her and Honor together as roommates because they, you know, this is my, this is my thuggish take on it. They wanted to see how the Royal and the Commoner would get along in that uh. environment of the Academy that's supposed to be leveling, right? It makes everyone the same, but here you've got a Royal and a... And a nobody, yeah. And and, and, and just to see get how this them, turns out across time, they're actually really good friends. Mm-hmm. And part of the idea is so they have an influence on each other to make them better yes. officers. Yeah, Michelle is. Yeah, I I, I love the character. She she's fantastic. Yeah, Mark Sarnow, We've already talked about. I've brought up yeah. Helen Zilwicky. Uh, hey, real quick on Mark. Yes, I, I keep delaying these things. Sorry, but no. You know, at the beginning of the book, he 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 wasn't a uh, oh good honor Harrington. Yes, he brought one of honors junior officers, prior junior officers, a com officer, right? Sam Webster and said, "Why don't you tell me about honor?" And it, the Weber did a great job of talking about how awkward that is. I mean, in in real life, that would be extremely unorthodox, and it would be awkward. Mm-hmm. And and so you think, man, Sarno, this guy, we got another enemy, an honor enemy here or what? 
But he was getting kind of the full 360 degree picture of her, and it turns out he he's a fan. He is a father figure or a mentor or whatever phrase you want to use. But he he embraces honor and her talent. He doesn't run with some of the other labels that are placed on her. Two of which are, are actually contrary. One, she's hot-headed, and then later we see somebody say, yeah, she can't make a decision. Yeah, Yancy Parks <laughs> yes. is the exact opposite of Sarnow. Yes. In, in that regard. But So Sarnow was pretty pretty cool, and it's why it hurt a lot when he when he takes one for the team. Because, man, this guy is a good guy. Yeah. That's actually the reason why I have uh, Thomas Caparelli and Hamish Alexander even on the character list uh, with this, is they thought he would be good for her, advancing her, get, getting her up to speed to, for flag rank. Right. And it was very much uh, the case. Pavel Young, I think we've discussed all we need. <laughs> I didn't want to yep. see him reappear. And then after what he did, and he's off to the court, now, now I can't wait to see what happens next. Now we can't wait to see him again. Yep. You know what's even worse? And we didn't get, we just got a snapshot of Pavel Young and Arthur Hausman going off yakking, yakking, yakking together. Yes. And we don't yeah. know what they were yakking about. We do know, but well, we, we don't know precisely. Right. Yeah. They, they, they yeah. were yapping about how horrible of a person uh, Honor Harrington is. and. We really need to. We really need to fix her. Basically, who? Yeah, who knows what plans they're planning to hatch? Okay, I want to go yep. back to Parks. Go for it for just a second, and I don't know. An idiot with his head up is Yahoo. Keystone. Um, yeah, is is how you've got the in your notes how you've got it put. I the guy's a commander. Okay, and commanders make good decisions and they make bad decisions and it just so happens that he made a bad decision and multiple bad decisions right but he made decisions yep and it and he's not the first officer in all of history to make a bad decision you know what he's not and what he's not a coward nope that's very true and what was my what was the follow up on my comment for him uh, was that, yeah, and he can admit when he's wrong. Well, I will, yeah, and I, I, I got some more on that. So, but yeah, at the same time, I, I just am not going to condemn the guy out of hand. Right. No, I, I, I that I'm not, but. Uh, you know, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, but he let his ego get in his way. And a lot of his problems with honor turns out, turned out to have been personal not objective um Mm -hmm. and that's not good command but gents i'll Mm -hmm. tell you that's the real world it's the real world absolutely those people are out there the parks are out there and the pavel youngs are out there oh yeah yes and and the honor harrington's and the honor harrington's are out there and the sarnals and all these are these are very believable characters they're yeah the depth is there to make them real well, look how mm-hmm. quickly we have in we have invested ourselves in some of these characters. Yes, you know, so, uh, and sometimes it's a character that just comes in, you know, with moments like Helen Zilwicky. Uh, for for me, the first time I read it, it was okay. I I get this, and then I realized where they're at, and it's like, 
oh, crap, Weber, you're not going to do this, are you? <laughs> and yes, of course he does. And he did. He, he did. He George Martin, that character. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got we've got some places, things, an organization, Haven, Sphinx, Hephaestus Station. Hancock and I think Station. we actually covered a lot of those yeah. and and I think in, in the discussion. Yeah. So uh, JP. Ministry of Silly Walks, also known as yeah. the Committee for Public Safety. Yep. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the, the one piece to point out is Sphinx, and it's like, okay, yeah. a 63-month year. <laughs> yeah. And the and 45 degrees off the equator, they still measure snow in meters. Yeah. That's a heck of a long winter. Yep. So, JP, let's launch into themes. Yeah, these, a uh, lot of repeats here, which I guess you should expect with themes and a uh, couple of a new one and and, uh, and um, maybe a modification of one. So the responsibilities and the burdens of command, spending the lives of your men or your men and women, that one's uh, been on the list before. The chain of command is emphasized in a different way in this book than it was in some of the previous books, but that is a real thing, and Weber is showing us how that works. Duty and honor in this book now being contrasted with a big example of cowardice. Mm. The instruments of power I've brought up in the past as well, that diplomatic information, military and economic. Once again, we're seeing how they mesh together, but there's a lot of emphasis on the military here and specifically on combat operations, not just the use of the military as a tool to posture power, I guess. But we're watching foreign policy based on how the government, these two governments are looking at each other. And then the new one is the use of spies. And not that you couldn't read that into the story before, but there's some explicit spying going on here, setting, you know, trying to figure out what the other enemy is doing. And it's not just technically what they're doing, but what are their intentions and how that plays out when mm -hmm. Haven and Manticore come to blows. We see how that works and how that doesn't always work. Those are the those are the themes that I yeah offer to you, gentlemen. If there are any others you want to throw in there, <laughs> uh, j just to add, uh, yeah, the instruments of power theme really. I mean that that's one of the core themes of the series in a lot of ways, and the way we see it going back and forth between the military action and the machinations in Haven. Uh, you see a lot of that. You can, you really see that play out well. I don't know how he can stop having that as a theme at this point because he introduced it so early in the series. Yeah, it, but that's it, a good it's thing. one of the great themes. Most most people don't think in those terms, and he's laying this out for all to see that these large tools, these large instruments are in place and they're being used together. The, I think this is one of the reasons what you're describing, JP, is how he uses that th the, the theme, the instruments of power concept, mm -hmm. is one of the reasons I think I'm a little more forgiving than some fans are in the later books, you know, after, I guess, Ashes of Victory, which is nine, because he really kind of gets into, you know, it, it's reaching a point, th there's still the military aspect of it, but there, there's a point where you kind of have to, you're going to have to shift from that, or it's just more of the same old, same old, and he makes that kind of a shift. Well, if we watch our characters get senior, more senior, yeah, people will oftentimes recklessly say, "Oh, that 
that general or that admiral or whatever is is political. And I know what they mean when they say it, but the fact of the matter is the military is really a political instrument. Yep. Not it can be a diplomatic instrument, but politics, you know, goes back to this western view of the military, certainly the US military. The military is subject to civil control. And mm-hmm. Weber is teaching anybody that wants to read these books about how that works without just being as simple as what I just said. Well, the military is under, under civil control. Yeah. What does that mean? We're watching that unfold. This is the third book that we're watching this. He's, t- he's actually educating us on how that works. But what that means is these admirals and to a great extent, these captains who are, who are senior officers, it matters. Was it the last book, right? When honor got lectured about her dislike mm-hmm. of politics and pretty much got told, you can't divorce yourself from this or diplomacy, I think specifically is what she said she didn't want to be involved in. But yeah, so Weber, it's awesome what he's doing. I love what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of contrast between a civilian controlled military and a political party controlled military. Right. Yes. Yep. So, so Jim, no. yes, sir. Plot points. What okay. did you like about the plot? Well, I came came up with a few things. First of all, so Honor has a boyfriend. Okay. <laughs> uh, for it's me personally, yeah. For me personally, this was unexpected. Way just completely out of left field. I like the way it starts out slowly, though, and develops to its logical conclusion. Enough said on that. Uh, I am, however, wondering about Tankersley. Uh, what kind of person is he? And what will he do in the future? Is he uh, truly falling for honor, or is he is he having ulterior motives? Anyway, Raul, you spoiled that a long time ago. Um, what? You, I did, didn't spoil. That was in the, that was in the book to read. Don't argue with me. Okay, I found it. <laughs> I, I found it hilarious. In fact, there, there's several pages of him dwelling on the whole idea of. How, how you know the tree cat tree cats and their uh, human you know the the relationships and, and how it impacts their relationships with people, yeah, as anyway, well as their stability. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. I found it hilarious how it seemed. Everyone that knew Honor knew what went on between her and Tankersley. <laughs> that was hilarious. Hey, did you uh, sleep well last night? Hey, yeah, talked to so and so. Right up to Sarnow. I mean, he even was <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. So I just that cracked me up. Yeah, you're looking. You're looking really good this morning. Yeah. Hey, Honor. Uh, you have an inbound message from um, Tankersley. Uh, you want to take it in your conference room? You know, it's like yeah, really. All right. So uh, we then we get the lowdown on Pavel Young. He is not just a pig on his own, but he seems to come from an entire family of pigs. Uh, we get to see inside his thoughts and find he is even worse than just the one incident perpetrated against Honor. He's holding on to that and still means to do her harm in the same way he attempted to before. This guy has... thinks he's right. Yeah. He has no redeemable qualities. Uh, if there's anybody in this book to hate or in the series to hate, this is the guy. All right. Oh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, as as I've said before, epic battle scenes, but at the same time, Weber makes sure to remind us that there is a high cost uh, in lives, even in victory. The death of Admiral Sarnov was uh, uh, heart-wrenching. I like this character, and I'm sorry we lost him. And finally, uh, I also felt bad for Parks, whom I felt was somewhat vilified for the decisions he made. I think he felt he was making the right decision in his assessment of what information he had. I also gained a lot of respect for him at the end when he sat down with honor and offered his apology for his mishandling of the whole affair. I think he could have just as easily have been right in his decisions. So Mm -hmm. those are, those are my plot points. That makes him a neat character. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he is a good character. He's not afraid. And this was the other half of uh, my comment. He's not afraid to own up to his mistakes. And remember Hamish and uh, Caparelli were, you know, they were both having their concerns about putting parks in charge, you know, as the ranking officer there. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Because th- this is the kind of thing that they were worried about, but they left Sarnow there in hopes that, okay, hopefully Parks will listen to Sarnow. Yeah. Oh, I know that, you know, we've, I, I, uh, I sympathize with the guy because I've had to make decisions and I don't, I don't mean life and death as decisions like, like you would in, in his situation, but situate where things could go right or things could go wrong. Easily yeah, one I, way, or, easily one way or the other. You know, and Jim, I, I, tr- I actually, I know I'm harsh. I was harsh on the character, mm-hmm. but I absolutely understand that. I, I, I understand where, where you're coming from there, and in that that respect, I absolutely agree. Hey, Raul, I'm not saying that you were harsh. I thought no. he was kind of harshly treated in the book. Oh no, no, yeah, well, that's actually, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not pointing a finger at you, but I, ah. I, I think that he actually, I think he got kind of a bad rap in the book. So I'm just going to pass it over to Jay. Making a wrong decision is better than making no decision at all. <laughs> yeah. As well, I'm not going to go there. I'm, gonna, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just going to turn it over to JP. Right. JP, any plot, point, plot points you want to bring up? Uh, combat. Combat planning and the battle scenes were awesome, and I can't believe how fast they went, given how much of the book was really about fighting. So this is the biggest and best yet. Seeing seeing battle groups against battle groups is really cool. And we watched Honor fight a Q ship. We've watched these little small engagements. Now we we had some legit force on force fighting going on here, and it was it was neat to see how Weber could paint that picture so well. The complexity and the uncertainty of battle, he did that real well, too, which probably harkens back to our discussion um, about parks, right? Making decisions with what Mm -hmm. you know at the time that you know it and all that. But battle is complex and uncertain. It's messy. The enemy gets a vote. No plan survives contact with the enemy. There are all these sayings out there, and they're out there for a reason. And Weber just did a great job, I think, of painting the messiness of battle layered forces, layers of command, some of which are engaged, some of which aren't, pieces of which fail or die. Yeah, it's just, it was, it was really neat what he did. Um, 
Web Webster's explanation of or his defense of honors leadership when Admiral Sarnow brought him in and asked, and I made reference to that earlier, that awkward situation. That, that poor kid just, it ground him up, I think, wanting to know for sure what Sarnow was asking, and then he just sorts of blurts it out. He, he just, yeah. I, I'm, I can't. I can't figure out how to paint this the way I think the Admiral might want to hear it. So he just goes, he just spills his guts. And, uh, that, that was a neat, that was a neat scene. I love the way he wrapped it up. We followed, <laughs> we'd follow her into hell. We did actually. And we do it we again. We do it again. <laughs> e- even though I want, you know, I, I want to hate the guy. I do hate the guy, the character, the cowardice of Pavel Young and how that was dealt with. I thought that was really well done, and I can't wait to see what comes next. And then Honor, kind of what you led with, Jim, Honor seems to have found a happy place in spite of her past, and that that warms my heart. So I'm three books in, and I care about these characters, at least some of them. Mm -hmm. Maybe not not the tree cat yet, but but Honor honor for sure. So the cat gets a little credit, because if she likes the cat, then the cat must be okay. So Raul, how about you? Well, I'm going to start off with two words, missile pods. Missile pods. Yep. <laughs> Basically, it's it's not just that, yeah, all missile pods were cool. Yeah, that yeah, they were cool. I mean, you you that small group puts up uh a couple thousand, you know, 1400, 1500 missiles into space, a basically a super dreadnought squadron's initial attack. But the point of it is, it's a whole new doctrine that Manticore is introducing into space combat. And it is going to play a huge role going forward. Um, In fact, we're seeing whole new technologies coming online. FTL messaging, for example. Yeah, that's cool. There's a realism of this here. It's like, okay, we're we're in the middle of a fight for our lives. There, there's not going to be a truce. One, one side or the other is going to fall. We, we have to find a way to be able to fight this, and they're having to innovate. They MacGyvered the situation. They, they've MacGyvered the situation, and they're actually coming up with real doctrine and real approaches out of it. Sadly, in some of this case, some of that innovation was driven by their admiral failing to leave them properly equipped for the mission. But like Jim said, decisions have to be made. That you know, that's reality. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the actual space combat was excellent as expected. In fact, not just the big battle between it, but all, all of the all of the bits. When you think about the kind of time frames that are involved, you know, sometimes in, in, you know, twenty minutes, one hundred and fifty minutes to engage. You know, before you can, it's like, how do you? Do that and still get it gripping. If you well, if you ever ask that, go watch Hunt for Red October. You'll understand. Or, well, the Hornblower uh, movies. Um, and to be honest, I even like the sim and uh, internal exercises uh, as well. Uh, right. Like when uh, Honor handed uh, Vance like his hat. Uh, <laughs> they were doing a they were doing a battle sim. Sarnow threw a monkey wrench at it five minutes in. Sorry, I'm in casualty honor. You're taking over. The Helen and Anton Zilwicky thing, for some reason, just tore me up. For some, I, I actually had to take breaks while I was reading those pieces. 
And it's not just because I, you know, had read it before. I mean, this is in the first time through and we're going to see more of these characters down the road. And that's all I'm going to say there. Uh, the development of honors character, both of you guys pointed that out. Obviously there's a lot more to come for, for the main character of the story, but here we finally get honor putting a lot of the baggage behind, you know, we, we might still get some references to the past, but the days of thinking herself homely or horse-faced, we're pretty much done with that. We won't be dwelling on that anymore, Jim. And Good. for me, that was done very in a satisfying way. Final plot point. This goes back to what JP was talking about in Spartan, uh, in the themes with the instruments of power, the political maneuvering and man manipulations and the way they drive the hostilities the way economics is playing into it, not just from Haven, but you remember we we're, we're starting to see uh Manticore rattle its sabers as far as, Hey, we control the Manticore wormhole junction folks. <laughs> yes. We're not afraid to use it. You're, you're seeing th uh, the Manticorans drawing the peeps into an attack on Yel Yeltsin, for example, uh, the, I just mentioned the machinations of the Harris uh, presidency, uh, the peeps trying to goad, you know, Manticore into starting the war. And even a step beyond that, just the way that he, Weber, he interweaves historical and novel in a way that for me is just a very satisfying uh, blend. So those are my plot points. It's good stuff. And I'm going to give my voice a rest and ask Jim for some uh, quotes that he liked. All right. We got uh, some quotes here. So I've got uh, Admiral Parks talking to Honor. I owe Admiral Sarno and you a great vote of thanks. Parks didn't like admitting that, but he did it. Of course, you were technically in the wrong not to pass command to Captain Rubenstein, but in view of the tactical situation and the result, I have fully endorsed your decision and my dispatch to Admiral Caparelli fully approves your conduct and commends your skill and courage. A little bit later, but Parks knew how much he owed the task group. He'd been more than generous in his praise and she'd, Honor, already seen the honors list he'd proposed to the Queen. She was on it as were Sarno, Banton, Van Slyke, and at least a dozen other officers in twice as many ratings and non-coms. Too many of them were mentioned only posthumously, yet Parks had done what he could, and his report on his own actions pulled no punches. He'd fully admitted his mistakes, and he'd been equally explicit in his praise for Admiral Mark Sarno and the officers and, and enlisted personnel under his command. That's a stand-up guy and a true gentleman. Yes. Yep. So, so that's that's where I I guess that's where I'm coming from. I just I just hate to have the guy condemned <laughs> when he doesn't deserve it. He needs to be he needs to be well and and he doesn't need to be told because he knows he screwed up. <laughs> I like that he had, he what he said about the how he handled his report on his own actions that he didn't yeah. throw any punches. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, 
know, it's a hard thing to do. It's, it's really easy to blame somebody else. <laughs> no, it's, it's their fault. <laughs> you know, he could, he could try and be the wizard of Oz, right? Pay no attention yeah. to the man behind the curtain. Just look over here. Uh -huh. Here's some real shiny stuff to look at. Yeah. You know, he, he calls himself out too. That's, yep. that's neat. Integrity. Yeah. All right. And so we'll just, uh, I'll just pass the baton to you, JP. All right. Well, here's a, here's a dialogue going on between some of the officials within the government of Haven. Besides the security minister, and that's Palmer Levy, for uh, those want to know a refresher on who that was. Besides the security minister went on, a foreign crisis might help cool off the domestic front, at least in the short term. It always has before. That's true. There was an almost hopeful note in De La Sanglieri's voice. Traditionally, the People's Quorum always accepted a freeze in the BLS. That's the basic life sub, uh, stipend, right? I think that's what it was called. Mm -hmm. uh, for the duration of actual military operations. There you are then, Palmer Levy said. What we need is a short, victorious war. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know where we can find one, don't we? That comment early in the book sets the stage for the entire book. And my own thoughts, that's authoritarianism. And more specifically, in terms of my own life, well, not in terms of my own life, that, that that is a direct reflection on the historic reference of the title back to 1904 and the comments of either the Tsar or his his minister, and then later Russia in the form of the Soviet Union with their Marxist or communist government uh, in a nutshell. The, but the book is, as I started you know, early in the podcast, the book is a product of its time. Mm-hmm. Related to Jim's quote, there's this. Thank you, sir, Honor said quietly and reached up to still Nimitz with a touch as the cat shifted on her shoulder. I've also read your report on the incidents of the engagement, Parks went on in a flat tone, and taken statements from all surviving captains. In light of those statements and the comm record from Warlock's database, there is no question in my mind that Lord Young first ordered his squadron to <laughs> scatter without authorization and subsequently withdrew his ship and its support against your specific orders. The situation is complicated by the fact that he was, in fact, senior to you, but he had no way of knowing Admiral Sarnow had been incapacitated. At that moment, he made his decision. He did so against what he believed to be Admiral Sarnow's orders, and hence in defiance of his lawful superior while in the presence of the enemy. As such, I have, I have had no choice but to remove him from command and assemble a captain's board to consider his actions. And again, I, I mentioned this earlier. Keep in mind that historically, when you flee in the face of the enemy, cowardice, I'm not talking about an ordered retreat. Uh, mm -hmm. Retreat is a military maneuver. Running when the enemy is in front of you is, is, uh, is not. Uh, that's a capital offense. So I'll, I'll just be curious. If he's found guilty in the court, how they handle him. And then later, following that, it is the opinion of the officers of the board, Park said quietly, that Lord Young has proven his total lack of fitness to command a queen ship. The board has also concluded that the confusion his withdrawal caused in your missile defense net was directly responsible for an indeterminate but substantial number of casualties to the other ships of the task group. It is the board's recommendation, which I have endorsed. Parks looks squarely into Honor's eyes. That Lord Young be returned to Manticore, there to be tried by a court-martial, 
for cowardice and desertion in the face of the enemy. And those are two separate charges, keep mm-hmm. in mind. Yes, yes. So those are those are my favorite quotes. How about you, Raul? Okay. First of all, there's the I'll do the quote Jim is going to have to edit out first, uh, just because <laughs> I can't resist it. Uh, this is occurring when uh, the People's Navy is making their initial attack on Hancock uh, Station. And this is from the Peeps side. Contact Admiral Chin jerked upright in her chair. DeSoto was bent intently over his display, and she frowned a second sleeked away with no more information. I'm not sure what it is, ma'am, he said finally. I'm picking up some very small radar targets at about 7 million clicks. They're not under power, and they're too small to be warships, even lax, but they're almost exactly on our course. We're overtaking them at 559 or 4 KPS, and Jesus Christ! That was the <laughs> missile pod launch. Yep. Ah. Yep. That was <laughs> like I said, Jim, you're probably going to have to edit that out for a blooper reel. But if you make a blooper reel, you, you can bleep me. Um, <laughs> a bleeper. I, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that personally. <laughs> so okay, it's going to stay in. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, second quote is a very short one, and JP, it kind of connects into. Su- you know, part, part, some of our earlier discussion. By order of Rob S. Pierre, Chairman, Committee of Public Safety, it said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, when, when well, you mentioned, well. when you mentioned that, uh, that, uh, uh, arrest warrant. The arrest uh, order. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sitting here trying not to grin. So you didn't even, so you couldn't see, you know, uh, even the yep. grin didn't give you away. By whose authority, right? I think that's what he says. By whose authority? Uh huh. Robespierre. I mean, Robespierre. <laughs> <laughs> and so, since you guys have mentioned uh, Sarnow's uh, debriefing with honor, I guess I'm going to have to include uh, my own quote on this. Oh, by the way, Dame Honor, I almost forgot to mention that you'll find another passenger waiting for you when you return to Nike. Another passenger, sir? Honor turned it. In the open hatch, her expression puzzled, and Parks chuckled with genuine humor. It seems Captain Tankersley was promoted from Captain Junior Gray to Captain of the List just before the peep attack. As such, he's too senior to stay on as exec aboard the base here, and since he, um, did such a fine job dealing with Nike's original engineering difficulties, I only thought it fitting to return him to Manticore for a reassignment aboard her. Honor stared at him, trapped between amazement and sudden joy, and Parks gave her the first completely natural smile she'd ever seen from him. I trust the two of you will find something to talk about during the voyage, Captain Harrington. <laughs> that, it's like, you guys covered the beginning and the middle. We might as well make... It's like, yeah, yeah we got to have the end here. That's when I felt like I could... I could... I respect Parks. Yep. Like, he... Exactly. He is a genuine guy, or like like you said, Jim. Well, he's a you say he's a upstanding stand up yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. He mm-hmm. he is humble enough to admit his mistakes, and I love that Weber said mm-hmm. describe the smile as genuine, a genuine smile that put me at yep. ease. Yep. For for all of the grief with Parks, that last bit at the end there, 
it's like, okay, the guy is, the, the guy is okay in my book now. That's not just he's can admit he's made mistakes. He, he'll do what little he can to try and rectify or do something to make up for it. And more importantly, it seems like he'll learn from them. Okay, last quote. quote. And, oh gosh, there's actually two, and I'm trying to decide which one to use. Okay, I, I, I got to use the first one. Yeah, use the good one. <laughs> no, no, they're, they're both good. Fine. Hinky and... I've got to use that one too because we, we've talked a little bit about uh, Michelle and we really haven't gotten a lot of the interplay between Mike and Honor. We've already almost over-talked what a piece of slime Pavel Young is. So if you really want to get a good feel for the uh, Honor-Mike relationship, Mike stopped over, was was called over, they had a beer, they talked shop for a bit. Hanky makes the comment, well, if we're going to be invited to make the supreme sacrifice for queen and kingdom tomorrow, I'd better emulate Nimitz and get some sleep. She started to rise, but on a raised hand stopped her. Something else? She asked in surprise. As a matter of fact, Honor began, and then her voice trailed off. She lowered her eyes to the linen tablecloth and fidgeted with a fork. And Hanky leaned back in her chair in sudden speculation as her commanding officer's face turned bright, hot pink. You remember when I needed advice back at Saganami Island, Honor said after a moment. What sort of advice? Multi-D math? No, Honor's blush darkened. Personal advice? Hanky managed to keep her eyes from widening and nodded with only a brief hesitation and Honor shrugged. Well, I need some more of it. There are some things I never learned, and now I wish I had. What sort of things, Hanky asked cautiously. All sorts. Honor surprised her yet again with a breathless little laugh and dropped the fork to fling up her hands. Her face was still flushed, but it was as if the laugh had demolished some internal barrier and she smiled. As a matter of fact, I need some help with makeup, Mike. Makeup? The word started to come out sharp with astonishment, but Hinky choked the incredulity out of her voice just in time, and she was thankful she had when she saw the sparkle in Honor's eyes. I could have asked my mom about it any time, and she would have been delighted to teach me. Maybe that was part of the problem. She could have decided the ice maiden had finally melted, and God only knows where that would have ended, Honor laughed again. Did I ever tell you what she wanted to get me as a graduation present? No, I don't think you did, Hanky said, and deep inside she felt a sense of wonder. For all of their closeness, there'd always been a guarded core to Honor Harrington. One Hanky suspected only Nimitz had ever managed to breach, and this bright-eyed, almost breathless Honor was a stranger to her. She wanted to buy me an evening with one of the best male escorts in landing, Honor shook her head and chuckled at Hanky's expression. <laughs> yeah, this is why you like Mike Hanky so much. Mm-hmm. Yep, but we really had it. The, the The other one was Pavel's quote about what he remembered of honor and what he's seeing now not being it. So we, we've, like I said, we've talked so much about Pavel. We really hadn't talked about Hanky, and I really wanted to get that one in. Yeah, oh, we get to end on a on a fun note that way. Yep. Instead of talking about Pavel. Yep. So quotes, good ones by everybody. Uh, we got to wrap this up with some closing thoughts. Any takeaways, parting shots? Jim, you want to kick us off? Okay. All right. Um, 
uh, my takeaway here. Even the best and brightest people cannot plan for every contingency, especially when one is facing a conflict with others involved. So you, the yeah. best you can do is trust your intelligence and try to figure out and yeah, and try to figure out what your enemy's going to do and try to be ready for them. And you're not always going to be right. Closing thoughts were someone to ask me if I would recommend they read the honor Harrington series. I would absolutely say yes, but I would also tell them to be sure to read at least the first two, if not the first three books in the series, they just keep getting better and better. So that's uh, my closing thought. JP. That is really good advice too, Jim, because these books, th these books aren't a standalone. It's like whole seasons of a TV series in each book. Uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely go along with that. So JP. Yeah. Well, not a quote from the book, but it's applicable to what we saw in this book. I think uh, secretary of defense Rumsfeld back in 2004 made a statement he took a lot of heat for and some praise for, depending upon uh, what people thought about him for a variety of reasons. But he said, you go to war with the army you have, not the army you might want or wish to have at a later time. And we kind of saw that happen in this book where the enemy has a timetable that they're on. And we watched Haven's timetable be driven by some fairly dire domestic problems and uh, Manticore doesn't get a vote. When they start to probe and act, Manticore has to go to war with the Navy that it has. So it, it kind of made me think of that. It's not that Manticore didn't ever conceive of the conflict. In fact, we know that they have been planning for an eventual possible war with Haven. But the Navy it had at the time was based on history, not on security needs. And you see some of that, not on the current, the immediate security needs. And you see that mesh with what they're thinking pondering that could happen in the future and the navy that they're building based on the size of the kingdom and what they have to defend and protect and keep secure and stuff their navy was designed to address a broad spectrum of military needs not a specific fight and when a fight ultimately ensues uh, like i mentioned before the enemy gets a vote your forces won't be equipped perfectly or arranged and located perfectly for the battle when it comes. I thought Weber did a great job at the end of the book explaining this by providing a battle a balance sheet, essentially, between the Manticoran and the Havenite navies, why they're the way they are, and all that. Really good stuff. It's something I was thinking in the first two books I wish he had, or we had somehow, and here at the end of the third book, he plops an annex in a, you know, an afterward and really does a cool... Mm -hmm. A cool description of why we're seeing what we're seeing. And I like, too, that he explains some of the foundational ship and weapons technology that we've been seeing as well, not just comparing tonnages and talent versus raw numbers and those kinds of things. Very, very helpful and very cool. How about you, Ralph? Yep. Uh, just to add on real quick on what you said there at the end, keep in mind, uh, the, the, a lot of these primary weapons that they're talking about the ones that aren't real already, like uh, the the basic nuclear weapons missiles, bomb pump lasers are actually a theoretical, a real theoret th theoretical weapon that came out of uh, the SDI. The the 
holy grail for lasers is the gamma lay uh, is the gamma ray laser, which is referred to as a grazer. So yeah, th- th- there's there's a context there that I you know it's really cool in that respect. Uh, that said, I'm not sure what else to say that hasn't already been said. You know, now that we're at the third book, you know, a he's really hit a stride, and you can tell. Uh, but there's also a pattern. Yeah, yeah, there's a pattern to the how to his writing model, and he still manages to keep enough change up, sufficient change up for it to still be fresh and not just feel like it's formula. Yeah. In fact, when he finally, you know, and this is looking forward. When he reaches that point, he does make a huge change up and starts really looking at some of the other elements of power. <sighs> he still leaves you thinking, damn, I really want to know what's next. We're going to find and I'll out, tell you, right? Get yeah, I'll book. tell you this. Well, thank God you guys can just go and pick up uh, the, your Kindle and flip to the next book. It was not fun having to wait another <laughs> year to get to the next piece of the story, okay? It just wasn't fun. <laughs> and one last uh, closing thought, just as uh, David Weber seems to have done a great job hitting his stride uh, with, with this storytelling, it really has a feel that we've done a great job hitting our stride in uh, doing this podcast. So the same people that Jim was saying, hey, give them two or th- give it a two or three, get through the two or three books, do that for us too. <laughs> and from there, let's get some ratings and not G P G P G 13. I mean, real <laughs> ratings. <laughs> this one might be NC 17. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim, what, what would you, what would you rate this particular book? Uh, I, uh, I couldn't give it anything less than five stealth surveillance platforms. <laughs> JP. <laughs> I'm going to give it five white berets. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, right, right, right. You, you're going to learn your lesson about the berets. <laughs> that said, I'm going to go with five sticks of celery. <laughs> wow. So that gives us an overall rating for this book of five out of five. Uh, whatever. Sweet. <laughs> All right. And uh, so on Goodreads, they show a rating of 4.17 with 22,441 ratings. Goodreads is a tough audience, too. 22,000? Yes. Wow. 22,441. And Amazon has it. Yes, it is. uh, Has it at 4.7 out of five with, uh, 1,166 ratings. Wow. Mm-hmm. So awesome. That is the book. That is the short victorious war, now, which that, is going to prove rather much of a misnomer. Uh, yeah. obviously when you look at the number of books, we've still got to go. <laughs> well, coming up next, is a book entitled Field of Dishonor, Honor Harrington, book number four by David Weber, in which honor will face some tough choices. So mm-hmm. you'll have to tune in next month to find out what that is or read the book. Or honor. There's no Better rest yet, for the do weary. Both. 
please do both. <laughs> yeah. Field of Dishonor. The, the titles for these books are actually very, very good. They're, they're good tease without telling you necessarily what. <laughs> so, and in this case, almost any interpretation you take for that description is going to be pretty descriptive. Yeah. So, yes, sir. I see by that clock on the wall, it's that time again. Oh, <laughs> it's been fun. It, it, it always is fun. I, I, I'm really glad we started we started this one up and going. Yep, I agree. So I guess time to say good night for the night again, huh? It sure is. Say good night, JP. Good night, JP. So long, everybody. Parting to such sweet sorrow. Bye bye. For listening to Honorverse today, we welcome your feedback. Email us at honorverse at tpenetwork.com. We are a proud part of TPE Network. Visit us on the web at honorverse.net, on social media, or tpenetwork.com. You can subscribe to Honorverse today by visiting tpenetwork.com slash subscribe. Visit TPE Network for the very best in podcasting. Opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts. They do not reflect the opinions or views of Bain Books, the authors, or TPE Network. Visit Bain.com for the best in science fiction. Many of their books are available from the Bain Free Library found at their site. Theme music is Honor and Sword by Zakar Valaha. Check his website found in the show notes for all your podcasting music needs. Thank you.